We're, I'm gonna start with a question, and if you uh, agree with this question, you just uh, l- let me know if you if you agree with that. Uh, and it's not really a question; it's it's more like a statement. But if you would affirm that statement, just just let me know. Uh, here's the statement: Love is tough. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything else in, in our lives, like everything else in our lives, we are uh, constantly presented with two often completely different views of, of what love is, of how to find it, of, of how to know when you found it, uh, and, and then how to keep it. This... Um, this, this problem that we have with love is, is why so many followers of Jesus find their love lives just as twisted and dysfunctional as their non-Christian friends, right? I mean, we, we, we look around in life and like, we, we struggle with this concept of, of love, especially when we talk about it in a, in a term of relationship with somebody else is a problem for us in our lives. But, but there's, there's more to love than, than the world's view of, of what love is and what we're presented with as love uh, from the media and from our friends and whatever. And Jesus' kingdom, this, this kingdom that we're supposed to be a part of and we're supposed to function according to that kingdom, not according to the kingdom of the world, Jesus' kingdom, it offers a better way to give and to receive love. The the problem is, it's so contrary to the world's view of love that that we often, we like discredit it or, or we just, we go, Oh man, I, people say, well, it's just not possible. <laughs> it's not possible to function according to God's kingdom rule when it comes to love and, and relationships. So uh, I, I thought that during this month, you know, I always try to talk about love and relationships and things during um, February. So um, this month, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth and it's really tidy because Ruth has four chapters and this month has four weeks. And so we're just gonna go chapter by chapter um, through the book of, of, of Ruth. And, and we're gonna see uh, in the story of Ruth and, and in the message this morning, we're gonna see a few reasons why we struggle in life and in love. And we'll even begin to see some clues pointing us to what love really is. Because we do have a twisted view of of love, right? Like we love everything. And when you love everything, you don't really love anything. When, when, when we love uh, pizza and we love our car and we love our house, we love our neighborhood and we love our friends and we love our pets, H- how do we really love people in the same way? And I, th- I think that's where we get confused because we love everything. And if we love everything, we, we don't really love anything. And I, I <laughs> just, rem- just reminded, probably has nothing to do with it, but uh, you're used to that. The, my, my mother has this thing um, where every, like if you're, if you're friends with me on Facebook or my family, you, you've seen this before. 
My mother has this thing where everybody's birthday, she posts a picture or something of, of that person and, and, and she doesn't post it on their Facebook, she posts it on her Facebook. So you have to go to her Facebook to see it, like you don't go to you. Uh, and, and then what she says is, the happy birthday um, to, my, to my favorite son named Corey in Kansas. I'm her only son named Corey. Uh, certainly only son named Corey in Kansas. Uh, I, and it's like, so my family goes to my mom, like uh, uh, my siblings, my nieces and nephews, we go to her and we're like, look, when everybody's your favorite, nobody's your favorite. Like, this doesn't make us feel good. <laughs> doesn't make us feel special. I know it's what you're trying for, but doesn't really, doesn't really work that way. When we love everybody, we don't really love anybody. And so it's this struggle that we, we have. And so we're gonna look at, at Ruth and see what we can find. There's tons of like really incredible stuff right there. And, and, and if you're a Jewish person, you would look at the book of Ruth like, like this. It's probably the most famous, most iconic love story to, to Jewish people. It, it's like what we might consider Romeo and Juliet, right? It, without all the suicide. Like it just, like it's really big, this incredible love story and they just drawn to each other and it's great. It's really wonderful. Um, th that Ruth is full of, of, of struggle. It's full of, of loss and, and pain. It's full of, well, okay, like in week three, I think it's spicy relationship stuff. Like, look, it's gonna be, it's gonna be PG-13, maybe TVMA on that Sunday, just so you know, leave your kids in, uh, in, in kids church. Um, most importantly, Ruth is, is really a narrative of, of self-sacrifice. So we're just gonna dive right into uh, Luke uh, chapter one, verse one. It says this, in the days when the judges ruled, and so we gotta stop right there, can't go any farther. Because we're told some really uh, important information. Ruth takes place in the days when the judges ruled. And so it's really helpful sometimes, like this, to know some biblical history and timeline. So you have um, God rescues the Israelite people out of Egypt. Um, like the, all these mighty signs and all this stuff, God just decimates Egypt and he brings Israel out. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Then Moses dies on the east side of the Jordan River, th that side of the Jordan River. Moses dies. And then Joshua is number two, leads the people across the Jordan River and into Jericho. And they begin, to, uh, they, they begin to dispossess the people of the land. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's, it happened all the time. If it didn't happen by them, it happened by somebody else. But the reason they're doing that is because the people of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and all these people, all these ites, they were pretty horrible people. They, 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 they murdered and they killed, they, they killed their babies in, in uh, worship to foreign or false gods with some pretty awful stuff going on. And so there's punishment that's taking place for these pagan peoples, but then also God is giving his people the, the promised lands. So there's a lot of stuff happening. Joshua then dies sometime after that. Israel's beginning to um, get their land settled. And then Joshua dies. And in the Bible, you go uh, Joshua, 
uh, Judges, and then Ruth. So Joshua dies and the people are leaderless and they don't have a king yet. And so they do pretty good for about half of chapter one. They're doing really good, about half of chapter one. And then it just starts going down. Like the rest of chapter one of Judges is just um, this, this tribe didn't drive all the people out of their area and this tribe didn't drive all the people out of their area. And it just on and on. They're failing God over and over. And it, and it doesn't get any, any better. <laughs> By verse 10 of chapter two, we read this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the work of the Lord or what he had done for Israel. And so the, the time of the judges, if you read that uh, book right before Ruth, it was filled with rebellion and sin and fear. And there were a few moments of like redemption and some times of peace. And then they went right back to sin and failure. Like it's just a depressing book when you read it. It's a depressing time in Israel's history. And it's really captured by two recurring statements that happen throughout the book of, of Judges. Number one is Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That just happens every time over and over, over. One judge comes, they do good for a while, and then that judge dies. And then it says Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the other statement is this, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound like a lot of what goes on today? We live in a world where kind of everybody just kind of does what seems right in their own eyes. So that was the national story that was going on during the book of Ruth in the time of the judges when all of this sin and failure and this stuff was going on. Like, by the way, God was doing some incredible stuff through that. His, his grace and his mercy was evident all the time, but the people were just blowing it. And so during the national story of sin and, and, and failure and, and all this stuff, we have this personal story of Ruth that's taking place in the midst of all this chaos within the whole nation. And, and, and we need to know that because here's the next point, that, be, that there was a famine in the land and because of the famine, Naomi and her husband and her two sons, they sojourned, they moved to this place called Moab. So there's a famine in Israel and to get out of the famine, to be saved from the famine, they moved to this place called, called Moab. Now, uh, again, it's helpful to know where things are in Israel when you're reading stories like this. So Moab, uh, th this family lived in, in Bethlehem, and we know about Bethlehem because that's where Jesus is born, right? Bethlehem is just a, a few miles south of Jerusalem, kind of southwest of Jerusalem. And Moab is across the Jordan River from where Bethlehem is. They're almost straight across. It's kind of a journey. You gotta go up kind of over the, the Dead Sea and across the Jordan River to get to, to Moab. But the point is, if there is a famine in Israel, there is absolutely a famine in Moab. So their move makes no sense. Why in the world would they go to, they're moving from one place that's experiencing this terrible famine to another place that's experiencing this terrible famine. And so we have to go, why would they move to another place? Why would they try and get out of this famine by moving to another place 
with a famine. And so we have to ask the question, why did they do it? Well, there's a couple reasons. One of those reasons could be that they believed that the gods of Moab were going to show up and rescue those people sooner than the God of Israel. Now, remember what's going on in Judges. People are are rejecting God and they're sinning and it's a terrible kind of thing. And maybe they felt like God just wasn't doing what he, they thought he should do and that the gods of Moab were going to. We don't know. But there's another reason they might have gone to Moab and it's because God already kind of gave a prohibition to his people of going back to Egypt. Now, if there's a famine in the Middle East, where do you go? You go to Egypt because of the Nile River and the Nile Delta, it always floods even when there's famine. And and so they have food in Egypt. But God had said after he rescued Israel out of Egypt, he said, do not go back there. Egypt has nothing for you. Don't go back. So either Naomi and her family decide to go to Moab because they think the the Moabite gods are better than their God, or they're they're being obedient. And and they're going, well, God said not to go to Egypt, so we're gonna go to to Moab. We're not really sure whether it was opposition to God or obedience to God that they went, but we need to keep reading the text to find out if we can get some more clues. So here's uh, what happens kind of next. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And those two sons took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah. So if you're going to have a daughter, uh, Orpah might be a good name for her. I don't know. Uh, The name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there. This is important. They lived there about 10 years. So they stayed in Moab about 10 years. And then both Malon and Kilion, her sons, died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, I feel like we're starting to see a picture unfold that might give us some clues as to why they left Israel and went to Moab of all places. God was not a fan of of Moab. When Israel left Egypt and they were wandering in the desert, when they got to the land of Moab, they asked the people if they could cross through their land. And they said, we'll pay for whatever food we use and we'll pay for whatever water we use. And the the people said, no, they didn't help Israel. Even though if you go back far enough to Esau and to Ishmael, these are all, these people come from the same place. They're all children of Abraham. But Moab said no. Moab also went a step further. They, uh, they got into kind of a covenant with a couple other nations and they tried to curse. They tried to bring curses from their gods down on Israel as they were wandering in the desert. Like they had no home. God actually does some pretty cool things there. But then he comes back to Israel and he says, look, because of what Moab did when you were wandering through the the desert, um, I've got some problems with that. And so a Moabite person was never to be a part of the assembly of God. So when all of Israel came and presented itself at the temple to God, no Moabite was supposed to be a part of that group. The other thing that that God said was that you are not supposed to marry anybody outside of the nation of Israel. 
And, and God said that not because he hates people outside of Israel, but because he said, I know that if you give your sons to marry their daughters or you give your daughters to marry their sons, they're going to lead you astray to follow the false gods of the nations that they serve. And, and I don't want you to do that. That's going to be bad for you. So I want you to marry within, your, uh, within the nation of, of Israel. So there's some big things going on here. There's, there's a famine in Moab like there is in Israel. There's these prohibitions against Moab coming in and being a part of the assembly of, of God. And then there's this prohibition against marrying people. And, and we're just like ticking off the boxes from Naomi and her family going, yeah, they blew that one. Yeah, they blew that one. Yeah, they blew that one. Like this personal story of Naomi seems to be a reflection of the national story that's going on um, with everybody in Israel. And, and so I think Naomi and her family move to Moab and they don't just try to outlive the, the famine. I think they get comfortable. I think, as a matter of fact, I think they decided they were going to just stay in Moab, that they were going to live there. Now, and again, that's a little bit of a problem because in that day, they had this idea that gods were national and they were kind of tied geographically to a location. And so if you move from one area to another area, you kind of had to switch gods as well. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in, in this story about Naomi and, and we're only just a few verses in. Even though... Naomi's family may have been being disobedient to God. We're, we really get the feeling that before her sons die, everything's going good for her. Like, like they've left God, they're doing their kind of their own thing, but life is, is, is pretty good. Like there's, they have no complaints. Yes, Naomi's husband died, but she has these two boys who are taking care of her, and so there's no issues, and, and they, they've assimilated into Moabite culture. Everything is, is going well. They remained in Moab. They settled there for 10 years, and, and it was all fine until her sons die. And so whatever internal spiritual conflict Naomi and her family may have been having, it didn't motivate them to change their behavior. And so they stayed there. Look at verse six. Then she arose. So her husband dies. That's still okay. Uh, her boys are taken care of her. Then her boys die. And then they begin to have a problem. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So she's going to leave Moab and she's going to go back to Israel. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and, and given them, given them food. So, um, Naomi now is out in the field. So she has gone from um, everything being fine and being provided for by her two sons. Now she has to work in her old age. She has to work to provide for herself because she doesn't have any men in her life anymore. And, and, and so um, there's nobody there kind of caring for her needs. But when her sons die, things get bad and now she has to work. She has to be a hired hand in the field of somebody in this godless Moabite nation. And, and, and I think it's looking more and more, at least to me, like Naomi and her husband were violating God's law kind of on purpose. But because things were going well for them, there wasn't any reason to change. And the sad reality is for Naomi and her family and for us, 
that we often ignore our sin until there's pain. Like we ignore our sin problem until their pain. And, and, and we think, well, I'm not hurting anybody, so who cares? I'm not hurting anybody else, so who cares what, what I do? Or, or we think, why, why should I bother repenting when there hasn't really been any repercussions? How many people ask forgiveness before they get caught in the thing that they need to ask forgiveness for? We don't do that. We wait until we get caught and then there's pain for that. And then we come out and we go, hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean that. I didn't want to do it. I knew I messed up. Just turn on any news. I don't care what news station you watch. Just turn on any news station and you'll see this just on repeat. Some political person, some national person screws up and, and they don't say anything until they get caught. And then what do they do? They go on TV and they go, oh, I'm really sorry. I feel bad. Of course you are now. But you're sorry because you got caught. You're not sorry for the thing you did wrong. And so we get comfortable in, in this stuff. Like we're fine in our sin as long as we're fine in our circumstances. Yikes, that kind of hurts a little bit, doesn't it? We're fine in our sin as long as we're fine in our circumstances. But, but because Naomi began to experience pain in Moab, then it becomes a problem for her. And Naomi was facing this problem. Without a man in, in her life, she was an alien in a foreign land, a pagan foreign land, and she was a widow and had no means of improving her situation. So while she's working as a servant for somebody else out in the field in the heat of the day, she hears that the famine in Israel is, is over. And, and my guess would be that it had probably been over for quite a while. She just didn't care until now. Because remember, there hadn't been any pain in her life until now. And now there's pain, and now she goes, oh, hey, well, maybe things are better back in Israel. And so she decides to go back to Israel because at least maybe she's got some other family there, and maybe God will welcome her back and take care of her. And so these three women, Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, they, they leave Moab and they head back to Israel. It's a pretty good journey, especially for a, a lady who's a little more advanced in years. And on the journey, Naomi kind of does the first thing that kind of seems like she's thinking about somebody else instead of herself or, or her family. And so as they're on their, their way, um, Naomi begins to think about what life is going to be like for Orpah and Ruth back in, in Israel. Because again, God has some very specific rules and commands about Moab. And so Naomi realizes that, that if she takes her daughters back to Israel, number one, they're not gonna be accepted by her God. That's what she thinks. They're not gonna be accepted by God. Number two, because they're not accepted by God, they're not gonna be accepted by any men. There's not gonna be any men that marry her daughters, her daughter-in-laws. Because, because there's been a prohibition against marrying um, outside of, of Israel and especially um, Moabite uh, women. And, and so she begins to think about all this. What's this gonna mean? We're gonna get back to Israel. There's gonna be three mouths to feed. We're gonna have to either work like we did back in Moab or we're gonna have to beg. Like this is not a good, good life for these two daughter-in-laws of, of mine. She knows it's gonna be hard for her, but she begins to think about her two 
daughter-in-laws. And so she stops and she says, okay, look, this is silly for you to go with me. You two need to turn around and go back home. You need to go to your father's house and, and you need to be accepted back there. And then you need to try and find other husbands and get married and have a life for yourself. You need to have a shot at having a life and having children and, and, and growing old. Like you need to go back home. And so um, th there's this scene where, where she makes this plea to them, go back and Orpah cries a little bit. It's like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And then she decides, okay, I'm going to go back. And she goes back to her, to her father's house. She's going to try and find a new husband and, and, and try to uh, start a new life. But Ruth makes a different choice. Here's what Ruth says. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now, Ruth's decision to go with Naomi is an incredible act of self-sacrifice. Ruth now, uh, un, uh, like Naomi was in Moab, Ruth now is going to be a foreigner in a land where she is considered not just a pagan, but she's considered someone to be avoided and even oppressed because of her nationality. Besides that, she knows going into this relationship with Naomi and going back to Israel, she knows that no Israelite man is going to want to marry her. And she is taking on the responsibility of caring for her aging mother-in-law until she dies. This is a, this is a heavy load. A, a pagan woman acting a lot like the kind of people that God told Israel they should be. This is kind of interesting because that's not what we think, right? Because we think, well, we're Christians, we're God's people, we're doing the right thing, and everybody else outside the walls, well, they're sinners and they're not doing anything right. And yet we find this woman, Ruth, who's acting more like an Israelite than the Israelites in the time of the judges. And so in verse 13, Naomi says this, she said, the Lord has broke out against me. And then she tells Ruth, she says, look, go back to your home and your own gods. And, and she says it almost like she thinks that the gods of Moab are an acceptable replacement for the God of Israel. And in the end of the chapter, of chapter one, Naomi has this thing where she kind of gets back and she says, my name, Naomi, um, which, uh, which has a very nice meaning. I, th I think it means, um, I can't remember now. It means, uh, 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 means peace, kind of like that. Like everything's good. Naomi decides to change her name. And she will change her name, she's going to say, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly, bitterly with me. She says, I went away to Moab full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me and brought calamity upon me. And so Naomi at the end of the chapter is going to change her name to Mara. And, and the name Mara, or the word Mara comes up in a couple other places in, in Israel's history, even short as it's been. When Israel leaves Egypt, the first place they go to find water, the water is bitter. They can't drink it. And they called that place Mara because it means bitter. 
But then if you go to uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you find there's another story where, where God says, look, if parents have a son who is rebellious and stubborn and he won't listen to direction and he won't follow his parents' rule, then you take them before the elders. Now this, remember, this is about 3,000 years ago. So this is a rough time, all right? So just, it's not today. It doesn't, it doesn't work today, but it worked back then. So if you have a rebellious and stubborn son and he just won't listen to you and won't do what you say, then you take him to the elders of the town and you present your case. And if they find the same thing, they're supposed to stone him, like kill him. That's what you do to a rebellious son. And the word for rebellious or stubborn is Mara. <laughs> and so Naomi says, I'm, I'm gonna change my name to, to Mara. And, and we're not sure if she sees herself as bitter like she's bitter towards God because, because her husband and her sons died and she feels like, like that was a bit like, God, why are you doing that to me? Or maybe she feels rebellious and she feels like the things that are happening to her are happening because she and her family rebelled against God and went to Moab and settled there and lived there and assimilated into that culture. And because of that, God brought this punishment on them. And, and so she's saying, I'm rebellious. And this is why these things have, have happened to me. I'm, I'm not really sure which one she identifies with more, but honestly, does it really matter? Because I feel like even in our lives, we're in the same place. We do things that we know we probably shouldn't do. And then something happens and we either feel mad at God because he allowed this to come into our lives or we feel like um, we've been rebellious and so God is punishing us. So th that's how we feel a lot in, in life. I, I don't know what Naomi thought, but it's amazing to me and what I think is the better picture here is that Ruth, her daughter-in-law, was willing to leave her home and adopt Naomi's God, the God that Naomi thought had abandoned her. Naomi through her pain actually seems to lead Ruth to faith in the God of Israel. And so Ruth learned to follow God from a person who felt like a failure at following God. Do we have anybody who feels like that? Man, I do. I do. At times I go, man, God do some really stupid stuff, everybody. I don't, you may not be aware of it, but, but I do. And I fail and I do things wrong. I go, why in the world would anybody follow you because of me? Ruth learned to follow God from a person who felt like a failure at following God. And I think that's often the case with us. None of us feel like we're doing a good job. But look, God looks at our heart not just at our ability to be holy. God's looking at our heart, not just our ability to be holy. And I think that's what we see in Ruth, this pagan woman who knows nothing about God. God's looking at the heart that she has, the willingness that she has to sacrifice herself, to care for her mother-in-law. And God's going, there's a heart that I can use. No, she's not a holy person, but I can use that heart. And so look at what happens in the next part of the chapter. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. 
They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, and that's going to come into to play later. It's interesting. It's interesting as we start the story of, of Ruth that the Israelite God, fo- God follower seems to be doing everything wrong, and the godless Moabite seems to be doing everything right. What we see in Naomi is bitterness and hopelessness, but what we see in Ruth is self-sacrificing, this heart that says, I'm gonna go with you and I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve you until I die, I'm gonna take care of you and I'm gonna protect you until I die. And, and so here's the deal, real love doesn't ask, what will I get? Real love asks, what can I give? Ruth was willing to give the rest of her life to care for Naomi, even though it meant she wouldn't have a life herself. And so if you want to know if somebody loves you, watch how they love you. Because that's gonna be the key. We can say all kinds of things. And when I, when I counsel couples that are having troubles and, and, and there's a rift in their relationship, husband and, and wife, I get real frank, because I can't speak from a female perspective. I don't know what you all are thinking or going through, but I know what guys are thinking and going through. And, and guys, we're messed up. Like we will tell our wives or girlfriends or whatever, we'll tell them anything we think they might want to hear that gets things back to normal for us. And so I tell women all the time, don't listen to what he says, watch what he does. Because that's gonna be the clue that tells you the kind of person that he is. Because if there's a rift in your relationship, he's gonna say, hey, whatever, I love you, I'll respect you, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna do everything that I need to do. But as soon as you let up, he's gonna go right back to the way he was living before because that's what we wanna do. We wanna just get back to the way things were. I'll say anything I can to get back to this. We gotta change that. Are they willing to serve you even if it's a struggle for them? That's the question. But Ruth isn't the only one expressing love in this story. Naomi is going to discover in the next few weeks as we go through this that God was never against her. He actually uses her family's disobedience and their move to Moab and everything that happened there in an amazing way. But he needed Ruth and her self-sacrificing heart back in Bethlehem to carry out this incredible plan. It's gonna be a fun few weeks as we move through the rest of this story. We're gonna learn some really cool things about love and how it works and relationships. And and hopefully it's a benefit to you as we go through this. Um, But stick around, because Ruth is an incredible story and we're gonna learn a lot from it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for just loving us and, and loving us in a much better way, even than than Ruth loved her mother-in-law, Naomi. You love us through our sin and our failure. 
You're constantly calling us back into that relationship and you sacrifice over and over and over again for us. It's an amazing story, God, that you would call somebody who was, who was not a part of, of your people and your nation, that you would call them because you see the kind of heart that is in them. It really is the heart that was in Abraham and the reason you called him in the first place. So God, help us to remember that, that just because we come to church, it doesn't mean we're perfect. We've got it all figured out. And there's lots of times where you are moving in the lives of people who have never stepped foot in a church building, but they have a heart, a heart that you can use. Help us seek to have that kind of heart. In Jesus' name, amen.